0: Good afternoon. This is Chickie Fitzgerald. It's Friday, September 23rd, and you have uh, dialed into the Executive Girlfriends group. And our guest today is the author of a book called The Improvisational Edge, Secrets to Building Trust and Radical Collaboration at Work. And Karen, I didn't even ask you how you pronounce your last name. It is
1: Huff Like Tuff. Huff.
0: Okay, great. Karen Mm -hmm. Huff. And it is spelled h o u g h so that makes a whole lot of sense and right. uh, I was sharing before we started the recording that uh, I picked up Karen 's book on Monday, actually a little bit by accident. I was heading out to Las Vegas to a conference, and uh, it was a five hour flight on the way out there, and so I spent uh, a good deal of that five hours uh reading her book and and underlining things and I just kept thinking, you know, this is really good stuff. And I got out to my conference, and I was speaking at that conference and you know, kind of focused on, on getting things ready for that. But what was happening later in the week is I had to leave and go to Miami. And I was walking into a brand-new client, and I didn't know anyone uh, except for the, the gentleman who had hired me. And it was an advisory board meeting with a group that this was only their second time of being together as a group to advise the company. And uh, I walked into this room, and I all I was armed with was Karen's stuff because I, I hadn't really, um, you know, formulated uh, a way to work with these folks. But I've got to tell you, it was so amazing. And Karen, I'm going to let you give uh give your background, and then as we're talking through these things, I'll, I'll kind of chime in on how this worked in real life. But then the really funny thing uh, I was sharing with Karen is this morning, I thought, you know, I better look and see who I'm interviewing today, and I saw it was her, <laughs> and I was so so excited that while it was still fresh, that I would get the chance to share with her. So Karen, welcome to the executive Chicky, We, we call it the Great group. Circle of Improv. Yes. <laughs> Well, I'm now a part of that and uh Karen, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background before we dive into the book? Oh, sure,
1: sure. Um, well, the kind of, the story behind the book and and my company is if I try to condense it a little bit, I learned to do improv comedy when I was an undergrad at Yale. Um, Now, I've I've been working on the stage since I was five, but improv was a whole new discipline, and I absolutely loved it. So when I graduated, I went and I trained with Second City, and I did perform with them. I had a really amazing career based out of Chicago as an actor Mm. and improviser. So I did film and TV and tons and tons and tons of live work, whether it be improvised, I started several groups of my own. I did a lot of Shakespeare and scripted plays and new kinds of plays. And I, I had a lovely career for about six or seven years. And, you know, let's let's admit it, I had a great agent. That doesn't hurt either. So um, that was sort of what I call my first life. And then I got married and moved to New York. And I don't know if you've ever wanted to do something new. Have you ever just... You <laughs> well, know, I you think we wanna... were
0: just talking about that, yes. Really? <laughs> I have. I actually have. It's taken me five years, but yes. <laughs> yeah, there's just a point where you go. I want something completely different. So
1: I actually trotted out and got myself a job in network engineering. I, you know, no. That's a pretty no big ed-
0: departure from acting. I've got to Hello. tell you,
1: Karen. Yeah, right. And I, I had no background in it, so. I really had to figure out how to do this, and of course in along with lots and lots of cramming at night um and and thinking on my feet i I really kind of dove into it and loved it, so I had this quite a few years then in New York and back in Chicago again it was intense we've all had them right the job where it's seventy plus hours a week and you're wearing the high heels and the shoes and you 're out and you're around and you're in cabs, and it's fabulous and wild and and I really did very well, and I kept getting promoted and I think it really had to do a lot with these innate improv skills that I had because improvisers can think on their feet. They collaborate very well. They come up with good ideas in the moment. And so the the kind of combination of those two worlds kept being very fascinating to me. So, you know, I had a couple of friends that I kept talking to about this, and they were having the same experience. They had been actors and improvisers, and they had gone into, say, banking and were doing very well. So luckily – Wharton Business School decided to, sit, to to do research with us because we really wanted to look at it from an academic standpoint rather than a performance standpoint. We wanted to know for sure, is there really a connection between the skills that improvisers show on stage and high-performing business teams? Is it real? And we found um, through, oh gosh, almost nine years of research that there is a serious connection from a psychological standpoint from an od standpoint even from a brain science standpoint Mm -hmm. that the kinds of behaviors that are shown on the improv stage really do amazing things in the corporate environment if you can learn them and the book is sort of the story of how that came about and the clients um, that my company improv edge has been able to work with you know we've been so lucky to work with Um, uh, Coca-Cola and NBBJ and like Mason and all sorts of incredible clients like Turner Broadcasting all over the country and, and prove that this technique of using improv
0: to learn new skills is a great way to go. Yeah, you know, it's so funny, Karen, when when I was uh, reading your book, uh, again, before I realized that you were my interview this week, (laughs) the one thing I outlined in your introduction in the preface to the book was where you did say, one day, quite suddenly, I realized I was done. And the interesting thing is a lot of people who have that realization that they need to move on don't always understand how they can port their skills and this book is all about that. And, and you were sharing with me that uh, even the book itself has surprised you, you know, that it went uh, to number one in its category and, and uh, was at the top of the business books and went into a reprinting when you didn't even anticipate that. And that now you're hearing stories back uh, from people about what it has, has meant to them. So what I'd like to do... Um, is kind of take folks through the the concepts of, of of these pieces that that fit together, and then I would like to be able to interject my story of how it worked for me in this completely unfamiliar environment. But before I do that, I, I also want to share it was funny in introducing, uh, you know, a couple of the people who are who are on the call live. I realized that. You know, in my life as a consultant, because we walk into new clients all the time, that I actually do improvise uh, quite frequently, but never with the benefit of these uh, components and, and these secrets of improvisation that you share in the book. Uh, so, Karen, before we uh, dive in, can you share just a little bit about, uh, you know, your personal life? Where do you live? Uh, you know, are you married? Do you have kids? Uh, do you have any fish? Uh, uh, Rebecca is like our, our primary fish owner who has the most amazing fish that has lived longer than any fish I know, which is why she always mentions it. So, so why don't you tell us a little bit about the personal side of Karen?
1: Oh, very, how kind of you to ask. Um Absolutely. And I wish I had a fish tank, but it they're just so much doggone work. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I'm very impressed, Rebecca. I I, uh, I think hers I live in lives Ohio. in a bowl
0: still. <laughs> not
1: not even Seriously. a proper tank. Really?
0: Yeah. Oh how cute. Okay.
1: Um <laughs> well we um you know, after living uh in many cities around the world, my husband's family is in Columbus, Ohio. So about ten years ago. He really wanted to move back and be closer to family, and, and we wanted to. So we've come back. We're we're headquartered in Columbus, Ohio, and I have people in my ensemble in seven other cities around the U.S.
0: Oh, it is wow. a great place. Yeah, it's a great place. I was in place. Columbus last week. Oh, shut up. I was for three days, and I'll probably be back because <gasps> we're using a technology firm there uh, to build the product for my new company. <gasps> we have to get together. Absolutely. We totally I am so have excited to get now. Yes, yes, perfect. Oh, good.
1: So we're here, and I have three children, 13, uh, my oldest son, 11, is my daughter, and 7 is my little boy. So uh, three kids, they keep us incredibly busy. It's really, really fun. I've got some great friends around here. I love to bike, and I jog every now and then when I can, but my really favorite, favorite sport of all time is water skiing. That's Mm. the one sport I'm pretty darn good at, and I, I enjoy doing it a lot.
0: Very cool. Well, it sounds like you may also have the future spouses for my kids. My daughter is thirteen. My son is eleven.
1: Oh, we can just put a contract together right now.
0: There we go. <laughs> well, Karen, let's let's dive in. Um, you you start the introduction uh, to the book, asking people to identify what their biggest problems are at work. And then you identify the most unexpected solution. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about setting that stage?
1: Well, I wanted to literally
0: say, and figuratively,
1: yeah, yeah, and I use a stage paradigm in the book too. Um People understand things when you use analogies, and so the stage and improv continue to be the analogy for the book, and I needed to make sure that people understood where I was coming from and why I was meeting their need because the key is that. Things happen at work, and we want things to go smoothly. We want things to go well. We want to contribute in a meaningful way. And unfortunately, things things happen, um, and we have problems, you know, trusting the people that we work with sometimes because maybe they don't do things the way we think they should. Or we have trouble having clear communication with our clients because our personalities are different. And so I really wanted to identify some of the things that I think are common to many people in the work environment and say, I've been there too. A lot of us have been in these very difficult situations, and guess what? There is a different way to approach it outside of being frustrated or worried or combative, and that's improv, which is based around the idea of positivity.
0: Mm. So tell us a little bit about how how improv really works, because – uh, you talked about having a troupe that you work with on a regular basis, but every time you walk on the stage, it's different.
1: Yes, it is. It is. Um, for for those, every once in a while, there are people who may not realize that the definition of improvisation um, from a, a performance standpoint is where a troupe of actors walks out on stage, and we really do not have a script. We don't have costumes. We don't have props. Uh, we often really don't know what's going to happen next. But we do have guidelines, and we do have trust in each other, and we all know that what we want to do is have a great show. So we have an end goal in mind. Um, that's performance improv with a troupe, and there's also music improvisation, which I think people are very familiar with, mm-hmm. where um, you know they're playing a song along. And all of a sudden, you hear a soloist just kind of take off,
0: right. and
1: what they're doing is they are improvising a piece of music that's never been played before, right there in the moment, and that's
0: improv. So let's talk about the the first rule, and it begins with the word yes. <laughs> exactly. Um, can I combine the first two rules? Oh, you absolutely can, oh, because th- I'm going to th- jump th- right th- in and talk about how that worked for me this week. <laughs> Go ahead. All right, so we, we, we've named the rules yes space and building
1: blocks. In improv speak, the phrase is yes and – Now, if we think about conversations that we often have at work or with our families, somebody walks up with some crazy idea or something you haven't heard of before, something that you may just not like, and your first response usually is either no or I don't know or or gee, that sounds weird or we tried it last year and it didn't work. In other words, it's finding some reason that it's wrong. And what that does is it shuts down the other person from contributing anything more. Now, in improv, you're not allowed to do that. You have to accept every single contribution. So the first word that you have to say every time is yes. So I think I used an example. No matter what I would say on stage, if I walked out and said, I am a, uh, I am a purple alligator, I knew that no matter what, my entire troupe would say, yes, you are a purple alligator. So the first concept is total agreement, that whatever you bring to the party is valid. And the second part of that is that you can't just be a cheering section. So if I said, I'm a purple alligator, and my team said, yes, you are, and then I'd say, and I have really long teeth, and they'd say, yes, you do. And pretty soon I'd be thinking, gosh, I've got to come up with more now. Um, Okay, and I'm on the banks of the Nile. And they'd say, yes, you're on the banks of the Nile. So who's doing all the work? (laughs) Me. You are. I'm doing all the work, and, and they have to get in the game, too. They have to take responsibility for this scene as well, and the way they do that is they say, yes, you're a purple alligator, and I am the fisherman on the Nile that's going to catch you, okay? So by saying and, they add their building block, in other words, to what we're doing, and the concept really works outside of the improv stage because rather than sort of tearing down an idea, we can first say, well, I hadn't thought of that, so, yeah, tell me some more about it. And if it works, you know, maybe I can help the project too. That's sort of what it sounds like when you turn that whole phraseology around.
0: Well, and I, I have to tell you that this week when uh, when I decided to use this, when I walked into the room, uh, you had suggested that if if at all possible, that it would be great to remove a table and to be in a circle. So I had these grand plans to do that. Well, I walk into this hotel boardroom, you know, which, uh, of course, you can't remove the table, and the room isn't big enough to move the chairs off to the side. (laughs) And everyone, uh, as I walk in, and and, uh, I had just gotten off of a a five-and-a-half-hour flight and had been up since 4 o'clock and, uh, you know, didn't have time to take a shower. I mean, I just kind of, you know, spritzed up when I got there. And I walk in, and they all just, like, do these really stiff introductions? And I had already had uh, on my list of things to do to have them uh, do a, uh, a more in-depth introducing of each other by breaking into teams of two. And and so as I'm listening to them introducing each other, I'm sitting there terrified that I've made just a really really crazy decision to follow your stuff. But then I remember you know, It always does feel scary. It really does. I remembered you saying that when you opened your mouth and said, I'm a rutabaga, because <laughs> somebody wanted you to be a vegetable. Right. And that that, you know, in... And taking the step to say, yes, I'm going to step out and become a vegetable that you had to trust that the other people were going to do what they were going to do. Now, that's okay when you've got a team you can trust, but I was walking into a group of people I hadn't met. Mm-hmm. So um, you mentioned something in your book that I loved, and, and it's that we have been stuck in corporate life in brainstorming for the last... Uh, I don't know, 10 years at least, and certainly in my consulting practice, we do a whole lot of it. So tell me about the difference between brainstorming and building blocks, because I think this is really key. Thank you.
1: And I'm just, I'm so excited to hear your story. I just think it's great. So the (laughs) difference here, um, and we tell the story about, if you've ever been in a brainstorming session and it's going well, it's usually a lot of quantity and a lot of, you know, very unrelated ideas. So if you think about every idea as if it were a brick, when a brainstorming session is over, you've got a great big field loaded, you know, with bricks thrown all over the place. So in other words, people are just shouting out whatever comes to their mind. Doesn't have to do, sometimes it doesn't have to have anything to do with how the conversation began. And, and that's, a, that's a brainstorming session. So, so that's correct. You're getting tons and tons of ideas out there. The issue, though, is that then suppose you come up with 100 ideas you're probably only going to look deeply at maybe three, and right. then all that extra creativity is, is really, in a sense, simply lost if no one ever goes back to it, not to mention that you know the three that you choose, all the people who weren't part of those three don't feel invested in it. Right. So a, a building blocks brainstorm is a, a chance for people to get involved in a single idea, So if our idea is uh, around a certain project and we want to get some ideas, we say, okay, we're going to throw out ideas just about this project, and it's only going to be about how we can really make it grow. And be crazy, you know, come up with crazy stuff, but it still has to be linked back to that project. So if every brick in this situation is an idea that still connects to the original idea, when you're done, you actually have a castle and everybody feels like they had a piece of building it. You know, you might not use all the pieces of the castle right. because some of them won't work. Right. But by pushing it and allowing this one idea to go further and further and further, you start to see these really unusual ideas unfold rather than just that thin top layer.
0: Mhm. Well, here here's the interesting thing is I I put a, a little bit of a twist uh on on your concept cool. and uh as I said, I first I broke people into these teams of two and you know normally you would think that you would put like these advisory board members with the client company um but i had the advisory board sit with other advisory board members and the client company sit with other client company people and and i had them introduce themselves in such a way that again it wouldn't be just totally the business stuff um i actually had them you know talk about their personal stats like i, I typically do on the executive girlfriends group where did they grow up in the longest place they had ever lived? Uh, because I find that people who've lived in a place for 30 years uh, tend to be, you know, less risk-taking. And, you know, I, I gave them kind of the context around that. And people who've had to move a lot tend to be more resilient and, and more easily adaptive. And And that asking that question actually reveals a whole lot more than just the question. You mm-hmm. know, what did you want to be when you grew up? What would you study if you could go back to school with no pressure, expectations, and constraints? And then, of course, uh, you know, tell something that nobody would ever know about you. And the people from the client company said, "Oh, you know, we're all an open book. We all know everything about each other." And so I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, maybe that makes it easier. And but do you know what? Of course, in doing this, and so each person had to introduce the person that they had interviewed, and uh, so that broke the ice in a really, really wonderful way. And then I did something that I, I do actually with my kids at the dinner table, which is rather than asking, how was your day at school? Fine. Um, we do what was your high point and what was your low point. And we uh, actually used to do that on the executive girlfriends group. We wouldn't force people into a low point, but we just say, hey, what was the high point of your week? And it might have been a business high point. It might have been a social high point. It might have been a family uh, win. So uh, I had them go and write those on a three-by-five card, so the high points in dealing with the client company and the client company's high points uh, you know, with, within its own organization. And then I had them do the same thing for their low point in dealing with each other because I knew that an advisory board's whole role isn't just to reinforce each other, but it's to expose pain points. And so they did that. And then I had them do storytelling. So we started, and again, this is a game we play at our dinner table of somebody starts the story and you go around the table and everybody adds to it. And because my husband and my son have very wry senses of humor, someone always dies in the story (laughs) when when they have a a, a say in it. But we started going around the table once, uh, starting with the high point. And so I began the storytelling by saying, you know, it was a dark and stormy Sunday afternoon and Mike had to go into the office uh, and the, this particular company is a travel uh, agency, a very large travel management company. And and I said, and and the phone was ringing, and Mike picked up the phone. And, and there was a client, and they were stranded in London. And so then the next person had to continue to build on the story of all the things that had happened, uh, you know, in, in the course of their dealing with the company. And so, you know, we did two rounds of the good stuff. Uh, and then we switched to the bad and the ugly. And so they had to tell the same story. And we got about halfway around the table to uh, to the client company people, and, and they didn't know what to do. But uh, through the whole thing, they had to start every part of the story with yes, and. And it had an unbelievable impact. On, on these people. So I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go ahead and talk about the other components and then we'll we'll kind of circle back around because I don't want to dominate the conversation here. But but I just wanna reinforce to you that uh the words that you wrote in those those two chapters in particular um jumped off the page enough to me that it was able to transform the the lives and the business culture of my client company and I believe had impact on, you know, these other six companies that were there in, in ways that I'll continue to hear about for, for a long time.
1: I am so thrilled to hear it. Yes, and. Right? It's like <laughs> yes. a rallying
0: cry. I, I love your story. Oh, and let me tell you, just, uh, just in closing, we did the bad and the ugly, and then I had them do one more round of what would be the ideal resolution to the problems that came up in the bad and the ugly. So they, they then were you know, truly laying out, not not just reinforcing uh, this is what you've done in the past, but, you know, uh, the the system crashed and you immediately responded. And, you know, then they would just build on that with, uh, and, and then you released a new mobile product that met all of my, my uh, travelers' needs and blah, 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 blah. And, I mean, it was really wonderful. Oh, congratulations. I'm so glad to hear it. So glad. Good, good. Um so do you want me to
1: talk about the other concepts? Is that what
0: Yes, you're yes. Let's talk about team equity.
1: Okay. Uh team equity is a great concept. It's it's about the fact that you um and I think we're very familiar with it now. It was less of a known concept uh, you know, even five years ago. But it's about using complementary strengths on the stage. So really to have a good show. You want to have somebody on stage who's a good singer and somebody who is a funny person and somebody who's a good straight man. I was often the straight man, and that is a (laughs) term, so I can use the man part. Uh, You want to have somebody who plays the piano in an improv group if you've got a piano in the hall. And you want somebody who's great at rhyming because there are so many improv games that involve rhyming. So when you have a troupe that has all those skills, you've got a really great show ahead of you because there's always someone you can fall back on. Now, that doesn't mean that the person who's a great singer is the only one who sings. We all do sometimes. But, you know, when we really need a show to shine, then we'll definitely put the singer out front in some great improvised blues number, for example. And, and that really is the truth about a great team of any kind. So often I fear that we look at what someone is not doing well, and we, we want to focus on that. We want them to work on making that mm. better. When we really should be saying, what are you great at? you know what what's really your forte and and how can we continue to make that even bigger and and lean on it and rely on it and use it and that's a great team
0: you know and that is that is just such an important concept and and right now as companies are struggling to be profitable and as they read uh you know the how how the Dow Jones did today and get discouraged because, you know, it makes it look like we're going into another recession. It's like, how can we grow? And this concept is at the heart of growth. And my whole topic, you know, in this last two days with this client was all about how can we make all of you grow? Because not only – the the travel company needed to grow, but they needed to make sure that the reasons why the people were traveling in the various companies, and we had, you know, everything from a consumer goods company to a, a pharmaceutical company and, and just a completely different set of folks in the room, and so some of their travel was for service and for training, and some was for sales and business development. And, you know, as we were talking about team equity within the travel company, I said, you know, we spend so much time trying to figure out how to be able to get to the next level so that we can afford to hire more people so we can grow. But if you could take a look at what people love and do well um, versus having people uh, that do well on something but actually hate it, um, you know, I've got a grid that I use in, in our exercises called Love, Hate, Do Well, Do Badly. And and when people can go through that and figure out where they really belong, you can actually grow a company without having to add heads. Um, you know, which is really, really super important right now. So let's talk about the last one, because I you know, I think uh, certainly I can uh picture this on the stage. Uh it's called Oops to Eureka. And I think this is the one that corporations and and even small companies struggle so much with, is how do you recover when it doesn't go as planned? Yeah. And, and oops
1: is not only just mistakes or things that go wrong, but oops is also the unexpected. Because mm-hmm. even the unexpected can be something great like, um, you know, a new contract coming through the door or something great uh, arriving on your doorstep uh, mm-hmm. in a personal sense. And sometimes we just don't know how to react to it or how to manage it because we didn't expect it. And that's when you're really improvising. Oops to Eureka is actually, I think, one of the best parts about being an improviser. Things change so constantly on the improv stage that we become absolutely adept at it. We, we expect it. It doesn't bug us. We, we know things are going to go wrong and goofy and crazy, and we just recover. And I think that that muscle is so critical to our being able to handle the world today and all the things that happened. Um, so, so really the key to Eureka is saying, what is the silver lining here? And, and, of course, history has so many great stories about, you know, Madame Curie was doing an experiment. She completely failed it. It was a mess. Most people would have hidden it, not let their colleagues even know that they had done it. It was such a disaster. But she said, no, I'm going to show this to my colleagues. We're going to look at it really closely. We are going to really see what we can learn from this big mistake of mine. And they discovered radium. Okay. Mm. she discovered radium that day because she cared to look at what she had done wrong and learn from it. And, you know, that's kind of the story of my life. I think that I've only learned hard lessons, you know, where you do something really wrong and then, oh, boy, now I I know what to do next. But sometimes Eureka comes out in ways you don't expect something great Mm. can come out of it.
0: Well, you know, it was funny because as as I was sitting there in the first few minutes of this meeting on Wednesday, I'm thinking, hmm, maybe I should have spent more time on the oops-to-eureka <laughs> chapter because if this goes really wrong, I'm not exactly sure how I'm going to recover. But, um, you know, it, it's so interesting. And, and I what I'd like for you to do is tell us a little bit of the story about what happens in improv when things go wrong because the, the demonstration... Uh, of being able to visualize that I think helps us figure out how we can do the same thing in business. Oh, sure.
1: Uh, the key on stage is that um, so often I think in life or in business we can kind of hide things that go wrong or avoid them or ignore them. And the point is that when you're standing up in front of 200 people and something goes wrong, everybody knows it. Mm-hmm. You know, the audience knows it, you know it, your troop members know it, know it and, and everyone has to realize that you have to deal with it. And the first part of dealing with it is acknowledging it. Right. So when something is an oops or something is unexpected, the first thing you have to do is say, wow, this really unexpected thing happened. And I know that sounds simple, but how often have you been in a situation where nobody would admit that something was going on? Right. And it's this horrible underlying unspoken tension. So you you first acknowledge what's going on. The next thing you do is you deal with it. Do you need more help? Do you bring in more people? Do you start over? What is it? Um, do, you, do you completely rethink it? Do you cry and then you laugh? What is it that you do but you <laughs> deal with the situation, okay, with everybody that's involved? And then the last part is you move on. After it's dealt with, you move to the next thing. And you don't live in the mistake you know, you don't live in, maybe you turn, maybe the Eureka came right out of your dealing with it, but then right. you move on to the rest of the show.
0: So tell us about the example with the woman and, and the uh, the sign language.
1: Oh, sure. Um, in the book I just came up with an example for Oops to Eureka where um, there's a very funny scene going on stage and one of the actors decides to pretend like they're doing sign language, well, it, it happens to offend someone in the audience and there have been moments where audience members, certainly in improv, I think they feel really loose, will will start to interact with the actors in ways that we don't expect. Well, in my example, the woman gets up and says, I'm, I'm offended. That's not real sign language. I'm leaving. Well, she says it so loudly that literally the whole audience can hear her. She's struggling to get out of her row and out of the, the theater and it's kind of frozen everyone on stage and everyone's feeling really uncomfortable because now there's this woman who has said something, and the audience doesn't know whether to laugh or what to do, and and it kind of can stop a show when things like that happen. Well, the eureka here is that one of the troop members decided to say, okay, I'm going to acknowledge it, and he, he stops the woman and says, please don't leave. Um, the problem is that we're a badly translated movie. We didn't mean to use the wrong sign language. Do you know sign language? And the woman said, well, yes, I do. And he says, well, won't you please come up on stage and help us do this right? We never meant to do it wrong. And he brings her up on stage, and they finish out the scene with her doing perfect American Sign Language, or ASL. And, of course, it becomes this incredible moment for the audience and for the people on stage. And there's, you know, glorious applause. They close out the show, and that's it. So um, it's actually something very akin to something that's happened on stage to me before, and it's really kind of amazing when all the pieces and parts come together.
0: Well, I love that story because, again, it you know often you just have to hear about how other people have dealt with things like that, so that you can picture how you would ha- handle that in in your next meeting or whatever whatever situation that came out. So, you end the book by talking about uh, practicing and and practicing these four. Secrets of Improvisation, uh, Yes Space, Building Blocks, Team Equity, Oops to Eureka, and then you talk about Celebrating. Let's talk about that a minute. (laughs)
1: Sure, sure. Um, You know, practice is something that, again, I think is ingrained in performers. And what people don't know is that improvisers practice more than any other performance group. Uh, We practice twice as much as I did any Shakespeare play that I worked on. And people don't realize that um, they think that we just sort of show up and are, you know, do great things. Well, the reason we can be great is because we've really been preparing. And so yes, we're going to step out. We don't know what happens next, but we feel very prepared. And they always say that luck is really when opportunity meets preparation. Well, that's improv. Um, so practicing the behavior. If you want to be more positive, you need to practice conversations where you say yes more than no, or listen more than. Than criticize, for example, and and that's the practicing part I talk about. The celebration piece. Sometimes I think for perfectionists it's tough. I I have a little bit of that bred into me, unfortunately, and I I forget to celebrate those wonderful moments, whether they're small or large. Mm -hmm. And my ensemble has been great about reminding me and changing my behaviors around. You know, when you do something really well, for heaven's sake, stop and say, this was great, or we did a great job together, and let's just right. celebrate this time. And, and life is too short not to take the chance to just say, wow, what a great thing has happened. No matter what it is, it can be tiny, tiny. I got dinner on the table. Yes, you know, <laughs> whatever it might be, or or we brought this huge project in after six months of work, and there were fifty people involved. Let's all get together and celebrate together.
0: Right. Well, and again, I have to tell you our celebration stories of of my Miami advisory board meeting on Wednesday afternoon. One of the individuals on the client side, when we did the round. That was uh negative uh of of doing the storytelling again with yes and uh prefacing every single thing, even though it might have been acknowledging something that wasn't so good um she of course was in a role that was responsible uh for um, you know the provision of service, so she wasn't having a lot of fun. Um, you know, I mean she played the game, but uh wasn't having a lot of fun with it. And at the end of the day, it you know just made a, a comment that she didn't want to do another round. But when we got to dinner that night, uh she was the one ordering the wine. And you know, she uh kind of shared with everyone, you know, that she had ordered uh Gergage Hills Cabernet Sauvignon, which is a wonderful cab. And she and she said, "Yes, and i also ordered cake bread chardonnay and everybody <laughs> clapped and whether they were clapping for the cake bread chardonnay but but it was really the use of yes and because it acknowledged her willingness to play the game even though the outcome you know wasn't exactly what she wanted and then last night uh, again at dinner uh which was my last um, uh encounter with them they were meeting today but all throughout dinner People were saying yes, and with great flourish. So it was the celebration was in the learning to incorporate that into their dialogue, and so now I get to go back and and share uh, your book with them. And because yesterday I didn't actually pull the book out and say that I learned this on the plane. That might not have been a good thing to do with a brand. Oh no, say client. my wonderful
1: friend and colleague mm-hmm. has been talking to me about this for years, and he. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, my good friend Karen from Columbus, Ohio. That's
1: right. That's right.
0: Well, Karen, it has absolutely been delightful and uh, for for so many reasons on so many levels this week and I am excited uh, that I will be going back to Columbus and can meet you. So for those who are listening, uh we have been interviewing uh Karen Huff, spelled H O U G H. The book is The Improvisational Edge: Secrets to Building Trust. And radical collaboration at work, and I am telling you firsthand, this works. And I also believe it will work in my home. Um, there was a great, uh, just a little snippet in the book uh, that I took away. Um, my kids, quite frankly, uh, you know, come to me more often than not, wanting me to play a game, and I generally will find every reason possible. Uh, to say no, uh, similar to what Karen was saying. And and the use of of the and statement and the yes and allows you to say yes and let me go pick out uh, with you which one we're going to play. So these principles not only help you in business but in your personal life. And uh, if you are surrounded with negativity in any part of your life, I encourage you to read The Improvisational Edge. Karen, thank you so, so much. And please do join us any on a Friday for the Executive Girlfriends Group call. Uh, we love having our former guests back as uh, as members. Oh, Chiki, that's great. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure.
1: And uh, I can't wait to rejoin.
0: <laughs> well, terrific. And uh, next week, I am going to be in London on Friday. So uh, we are going to have a guest host. But our guest next week is a uh, an author who has written a book called Zero Gimmick Successful Weight Loss with exercise physiologist Melanie Cole of the Health Radio Network. So uh, I'm definitely going to listen to it while I'm in Europe next week, but unfortunately won't be here for the call. So uh, we look forward to uh, having all of you back with us again next week. And uh, do we have any comments or questions from those who are listening uh, live today? Okay. Quiet folks today, either that or you're talking and your phone is on mute. No questions. Thank you. I can't wait to read the book, though. Okay, terrific. All right, Karen, well, I am going to go ahead and take it off of recording, and we're just going to kind of circle around ourselves, and uh, perhaps we'll pla- uh, practice our yes and. <laughs> Wonderful. So let me just let me turn off our recording. And, uh, again, thank you for joining the Executive Girlfriends